Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 114. We made it. Uh, I will, will I welcome in my co-host and then have him just sit there for the announcements? I will. My co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? I refuse to sit still for those announcements. You're just going to do jumping jacks the whole time? No, I'm going to comment on everyone, even if I don't know anything about them. Okay, here we go. All right. Announcement number one, uh, Josh was recently a guest I heard on, of him. on the podcast, I Do Movies Badly. Oh, yeah. See, I can comment on that one. I know about that. Okay, then t- tell me about it. I was on that episode, and uh, yeah. What were you talking about on I that I don't episode? remember. No, I do remember. We talked about Ingmar Bergman, who's my, I guess, my favorite filmmaker. And I recommended three films of his uh, that Jim could watch and uh, comment on as there are three that he hasn't seen before being were, the format of his show. If you were to say, okay, so you, are you, you're comfortable saying Ingmar Bergman is your favorite filmmaker? I think so. Okay. It's hard to say. It is hard. Definitively. Because sure there's a lot that I like a whole lot, but I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with saying that one. Yeah. I, if Movies, I can. I'm usually pretty good at picking a definitive favorite, mm-hmm. um, and a, a definitive top hundred. Yeah, filmmakers. I could give you probably ten. Mm-hmm. If you ask me to order them, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, um, Wells is probably up there. Cassavetes is up there. Altman, yeah. Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers would be up there for me too. Woody Allen would be one. Mm. Um. Billy Wilder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Sidney Lumet as well. And frankly, yeah. you know, it's interesting. There are probably, like, film nerds out there that cite Steven Spielberg as their favorite director. But I've never met one. Not yeah. because they don't like him. Not because they don't like his films. But I, I wonder if there's this pressure of, like, well, everybody likes Steven Spielberg. Right, right. Oh, there by the way, why, how, did I, how did you and I just not say... Hitchcock as well. Oh, Hitchcock's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I so, just watched The Lady Vanishes for the first time. A few I've never seen it. I've heard it's ago. wonderful. It's good. But uh, but yeah, so like the Spielberg thing. But like Spielberg and Hitchcock, those are the two directors that people, that everyone has heard of. Those are the, the best way to say it is like, those are the two directors that like your grandmother or your mom has heard exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spielberg is the one that when I, in high school, when I said I wanted to make movies... People would be like, oh, the next Spielberg. Yeah. And, and, and I would, and at the time I didn't say this, but in my mind, it's like, if anything, I'm the next Jim Jarmusch. (laughs) Sorry. That's yeah. I apologize. (laughs) You're not going to like anything I make. Um, but, uh, that was a little, uh, elitist of me, by the way, Mm -hmm. they might like that. They probably wouldn't though. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, that's, it's interesting when you think of, of that. Cause 
I don't know. He'd. I think he'd probably make my. I think he'd Spielberg make my top ten. I don't know. Oh, David Lean. Mm. Shoot, there's just too many. This out ten there is starting to, to have ten. Yeah. Um. I mean, one person that would definitely not make my top hundred is Noah Baumbach because, like, I get it. Mm. You're a bad filmmaker. I can't remember who that is, but he sounds like a genius. <laughs> Uh, solely based on the name went, yeah this character you just went into is a little a little superficial i gotta say um, i don't know it's like noah bombach i don't know it's just it's just coming out of my, out of my mouth really well by the way recently i looked at uh, some covers of a lot of books and uh, some of them look great Ex- some of them exactly. are great books yeah oh you can you just know you just know <laughs> um but yeah so you can uh so i do movies badly as part of the battleship pretension fleet um so you can go to battleshippretension.com and you can find Josh's episode talking about Ingmar Bergman. And it's particularly interesting uh, to hear Jim's follow-up uh, on that. The first episode that he's done. Basically, uh, Josh assigned Jim a number of Ingmar Bergman films to watch. Three is the number. Three is the number. It's the magic number. Um, and uh, the first one was Wild Strawberries. 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 And... Strawberries. <laughs> And so Jim watched that. And I haven't listened to the response yet. I'd, I'd like to. I want to listen to it. I haven't had a chance yet. Well, it's it's so interesting because you know I know Jim. Oh, and Jim, by the way, writes for the, more than one lesson every once in a while. Um, but uh, so I I know him, and I know some of the behind the scenes, and I know that uh, you know he's having some trouble with Bergman. Um, just as not even having trouble, but it's just like it's it's testing him, hmm. you know. And as often happens. Maybe not, maybe not with you, but I know that it happens for me. Uh, when you come across something that uh, that film lovers like, if not love, and then you see it and you're like, ah, I guess maybe I don't get it. Then you start to wonder, why am I even doing this? If I hmm. don't get Ingmar Bergman, and of course who can, but at the same time, like if everyone else seems to get it, and if I don't, then what am I even doing this for? So like. Jim had a little bit of that, and so, and I don't know how much of that came through in the episode. I think he actually does mention the concept of getting it. Hmm. Um, so it's have it's, you you've listened to the episode already? I did, then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's very it's very interesting. I I really respect what Jim is doing. He's yeah. really putting himself out there. I think it's a cool idea. Um, so yeah, you can find that at battleshippretension.com. There's a couple new articles and more than one lesson written by Reed Lackey. One is his review of a uh, lesser known Christian film called uh, Seven Deadly Words. Uh, I actually met the director, the writer director of that film at uh, the Mountaineer Film Festival in West Virginia. His name's Doc Benson. He's a super nice guy, and I like a lot of his philosophy behind uh, filmmaking. So you can read that, and then read also. Uh, did a review of Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? Wait, Jake Gyllenhaal? I think it's Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I yeah. said Gyllenhaal for forever, and then easily ten years ago I started saying Gyllenhaal, <laughs> but for some reason I forgot that just now. No. Uh, yeah, so starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Jake Gyllenhaal. He plays what? two roles. Uh, and based on what I've heard from a few people, and then this uh, review confirms it, I cannot watch this film. Because... The role of spiders in the oh. film is significant and horrifying. Oh, no. I, I want to see that movie. I still I still kind of do. I'm I, hearing- I may power through, but boy, oh, boy. Based on what people have said, like, it's, it's basically like a nightmare. Hmm. And that the use of spiders 
is nightmarish. And it's like, well, I already have those. Mm. I already have, I have, I probably have a spider nightmare, like, I don't know, two or three times a month, um, (laughs) which I feel like probably says something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, and I've heard great things about the movie, but it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know. This is, this is like, this is like uh, you with, you know, like you're not going to be joining us for the conjuring. Nobody's requiring me to see enemy, but I feel like I need to see it. But this is the thing that's keeping me from that's the block. But uh, but yeah, Reed had some interesting things to say about that. So you can find that at more than one lesson dot com. A couple things. Next week, there will not be an episode posted. We're going to try and do two episodes the following week. What? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Tyler, I feel like I'm being gypped. You personally? I'm speaking for the listener. Okay, good. Yes, because you don't listen to this. No. Um, You don't listen while we're even recording them no i i i've got i've got music playing in my headphones what music is playing right sticks. now? sticks okay of course of course <laughs> you're just while i'm talking you're just sailing away oh yeah <laughs> um so uh yeah i'm going to be in chicago from the 13th to the 20th uh so i will not be able to record uh an episode so uh you know you guys you guys get a little break there and maybe watch some of the movies that we've talked about, some of the Halloween Times movies that we've talked about hey. during that week. Uh, what I will say is that I'm putting together a sort of a meetup, mostly for my friends, but also just people, like in some cases, people that I've written for and people that I know uh, through the podcast. So I'm putting that together on October 18th, that's Saturday, at 8.30 p.m. at D'Agostino's Pizza and Pub at the corner of Southport and Addison. It is, oh. my, it is my favorite pizza place, and I can't wait to go there. And, uh, and so you're welcome to join us. 8.30, October 18th, uh, D'Agostino's Pizza. I'll be there. Have I'm you ever been to I'm Chicago? I forget. listener again. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Have you, Josh? Okay. Uh, Josh, I need you to go out of your listener trance and speak to me as Josh. <laughs> um... Uh, my only, the only time I was in Chicago, I had a uh, a flight that had to be redirected there, had to get a taxi from, or a shuttle or whatever, from the airport to a hotel where I slept for like four hours and got back in a taxi and back into the airport to leave. So, yes, I've been in the city. No, I've not really been to Chicago. Fair enough. Uh, well, I know you're, you're a fan of pizza. I am you're a fan of pizza. You're part Italian and thus you enjoy pizza. Hey. Only Italians like pizza. That's one thing I've come to learn. No one else likes when it. When I go to D'Agostino's, I get chicken wings. Oh. That's not true. I don't okay. think I even like chicken wings. But, uh, but yeah, you got to go to Chicago and have some pizza. I know. I would like, I like Might that I recommend dish. D'Agostino's? <laughs> I feel like I've heard of D'Agostino's. I've had, you know what? I don't even really like deep dish that much. Their deep dish is all right. Yeah. I, I prefer their thin crust. Uh, it doesn't matter. Their sauce is what's good. So everybody come and join me. We'll talk about movies and eat some delicious pizza. Now I want Chicago Though, pizza. Is there anywhere in LA you can get Chicago style pizza? Really? Re- uh, really? I mean, there, I know it's one of those things that there's like, Joe you really can only get it in the right place. Yeah. It's called, I think it's called like taste of Chicago or something I've like seen that. that. Place, it's his I restaurant. Think. Yeah. And Appar- it's pretty good. I've never eaten there. Apparently based on a number of Chicago people, I know it's not really that oh. authentic. It's more just the idea of Chicago cuisine as opposed to the actual thing. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, join me for that. Lastly, boy, these announcements are going on, but that's all right. That's what happens when I invite Josh in early. Yeah. Uh, 
so the next episode that we record, uh, it'll be again, it'll be the following week. Uh, we'll be talking about the guest directed by Adam Wingard or, or if you prefer the German der Gast, der Gast. I love that I'm song sure by Rammstein. <laughs> der Gast. Der, der Gast. That's fun. I haven't thought of, I have not thought of that song in, I'm going to say 15 years. Yeah. I there, thought, yeah. I thought of Rammstein recently because I was, <laughs> let, let's start a new podcast called, I thought of Rammstein recently because, yeah. and it can be all the reasons that you thought of Rammstein. Oh, no, it could be any number of reasons. Uh, I was looking through a list of movies and I saw, uh, something there, there's a, uh, Fassbender film called. It's, it might be just called Maria Brown or something about Maria mm. Brown. And the actual German title is, it's like Desensucht something Maria Brown. Mm. And there was a Rammstein album that was called Sensucht. And now I want to know, I don't remember what that word means. I want oh to look boy. it up and I forgot. I hope it's not like a swear word because there's no, there's a no swearing policy on this podcast. Probably not if it was in the title of that movie, but. Who knows? Mm, I could see it going that way. It could be, but what no. little I know of Fassbender, I feel like he'd go, he'd be okay with that. Uh, but yeah, so you can tune in to that episode in which we talk about the guest. Uh, I will mention now that uh, it is it, it's had a limited release, but it is I think as a so this will be going up the day we're recording it, which is Thursday. But as of tomorrow, it's expanding to 30 cities. Uh, it's a film that Josh and I have both seen. We both really like it. We're, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, and if you enjoy, it's not really a horror movie so much as suspense, but if you enjoy suspense thrillers and you're a fan of the eighties, not that it takes place in the eighties, but it's very much a throwback to that. Uh, then seek out the guest. I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Oh boy, that is it. So let's jump into our uh, our proper topic, which is the Henry Selleck film Coraline. Watch came, out! Came out in two thousand nine, based on the book by Neil Gaiman. Uh, Coraline is a film not unlike Alice in Wonderland, where this uh, young girl, she and her parents move from the city to a remote location where her parents can finish writing a book about gardening or something like that. Something boring. Yeah. And she doesn't have any friends and they're, uh, they're staying in a house that has been split up into several, uh, rooms or several, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's wings, maybe wings. Sure. And so, she and her family occupy one part of it, but then there's a, a very strange, uh, possibly Rus- uh, Russian man named Mr. Bobinski, uh, who's on the top floor. And then there are these couple, uh, these two uh, aging actresses uh, who live in the basement. And so, uh, so these are really the only people that she interacts with, except for a young boy who lives uh, down the way. I, that could mean any number of things. That's why I like to say it uh, named YB. And, she doesn't really, she's bored. She doesn't really know what to do. She winds up bothering her parents. She's, and she's just very unhappy. And then one day she finds a little door in the house. 
She goes through it and is transported to not necessarily a mystical world. It's merely a better version of the world that she are where she already lives. Um, there's, you know, her mom and dad are there, but they're just they're nicer to her. They pay attention to her. They, you know, they give her all kinds of uh, wonderful treats. They buy her toys and that sort of thing. And they just, uh, it, it's a really great place. And then she seeks out uh, her neighbors and her neighbors are doing really fantastical things and she just loves it. And so she keeps coming back. But the more she comes back, uh, the the more ominous everything becomes. And eventually her other mother, as she is called, says, well, if you'd like to stay here, then you need to do this thing. Uh, because all the characters, instead of eyes, they have buttons sewn over their eyes. And she said, so the other mother says, if you stay here, you'll have to, you'll have to have buttons put where your eyes are or whatever. She doesn't put it like that. Um, and so that's when Coraline's like, I feel like that's not a good thing. Right. (laughs) And that's when she starts to see the world for what it is, which is false. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's set up as this really great thing where all of her dreams are coming true, but it in, indeed it is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And so then she has to figure out how to get home. And when she does, she finds that her parents are gone and they've been taken by the other mother. And so she has to go defeat her, uh, to get her parents back and to get back to her regular life. So that's the story of Coraline. Thank you for listening. Um, I never know how much plot, how much to go into the plot? Because I, you know, not unlike, not necessarily for spoiler reasons, but you never quite know if people are listening because they've already seen it. But right. so that's the basic story. Uh, it was directed by Henry Selick, who directed uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas it's from Magnum PI. Sorry, right? the Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Did you just? Did you? I'm sorry. I was talking about other things. Did you just make a Magnum PI joke? Yeah. Was well, isn't Henry Selick? I thought it was really good and. Magnum PI. All right, ten minutes of silence from you. All right, I'm going to keep going. So uh, one, one thousand. No, two, one thousand. These aren't on two different audio tracks. They can be. I don't know if they can. I don't either. I'm just set up that I have. Um. So yeah, what I'll say is, uh, so people associate Nightmare Before Christmas with Tim Burton, and rightfully so. He helped. He he did this. He made, wrote the story and he produced the it. And it looks and like his kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it is Henry Selleck's film, and he also, I think, directed James and the Giant Peach, which I liked. But if you want an example of, oh, okay, yes, Nightmare Before Christmas was not merely Tim Burton's. You watch Coraline and you realize, oh, it still has that very dark yet funny uh, but uncomfortable spirit to it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I like a lot. I think it's visually gorgeous. Um, I think it's a combination of, you know, stop motion animation, otherwise known as claymation and, um, and some kind of digital. Yeah. I I think they used those models to feed into a computer. I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, ultimately the result is this very surreal world where even in the real world, uh, where things are not fantastical, even then the the character designs are very off the wall and very strange, and again a little unsettling. Yeah. Um, even characters that mean well uh, and are good natured, they just look 
suspicious. Uh, and so the character design is interesting to me. The art direction in general is interesting. I really enjoy the music, which creates not unlike a Danny Elfman, though I don't think he's the one that did it. Uh, it creates this very, I, would, I guess I could say dreamlike it's dreamlike then turning into nightmare, of course, because mm-hmm. that is the nature of the story. Um, but yeah, so I've been, and then I'll talk about the cast a little bit in a moment, but, uh, but yeah, I remember really loving Coraline when I saw it and cursing myself that I did not see it in the theater because I felt mm-hmm. like it would have been a really fun theatrical experience yeah. and I did not see it in 3d. Uh, oh, I didn't even know it was one that was out in 3d. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been a good 3d movie i can see that um but anyway so that's that's my opinion uh of the film my my general opinion what's what do you what do you think of it i didn't see it oh okay all right (laughs) i will move on now just kidding i saw caroline um now i like the part where caroline was i'm gonna do this whole time is that all right sure uh, so my Go favorite right part, my favorite part of Tom Selleck's Caroline. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed you it. just go into talking about an episode of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> or, I, what or, I like about Caroline is the scene where Gilligan uh, <laughs> ruins the coconut radio. <laughs> and Caroline's like, I'm going to get you, Gilligan. <laughs> and Caroline was, hits Gilligan with her hat. Yeah. That was pretty good. Um, no, I, I enjoyed it when I, when I saw it, I think, I think we watched it for movie night one time. Like, I believe we did. Yes. That's when I saw it. Um, we like to around Halloween times, watch a lot of, uh, horror or spooky type films for, uh, for our little weekly movie night. And, uh, that was one of them. So I think we watched that. I feel like we watched three movies that we night. watched three movies that night. So it was the third in in a series, but I but I remember enjoying. It. And I don't watch a whole lot of animated movies, so a lot of them just come and go, and I don't remember anything about them or think anything about them. But uh, so I'd heard about this one, but hadn't thought of anything about it. And uh, but then I I was glad I saw it when I did because it was it was cool. It's um one of those ones that creates kind of a unique looking world. And I think I enjoy when, uh, when there's any kind of animation that isn't, uh, Disney or Pixar animation, not to say that those are bad inherently, but when we see so many of those, uh, it's just fun to see something else kind of in the mix, something that has a different look to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like Pixar when they're doing well, I think it's some of the most dazzling anime, you know, like the Incredibles and Finding Nemo and even parts of Wally. Even the movie Brave, which I didn't like that much, had some really gorgeous uh photography in it. And uh I guess that's what you'd have to call it. Um and so I really like that, but at the same time, the neat thing about animation is that you can do any number of things with it. Right. And you know, just the 3D model with like the nice the nice the nice smooth edges uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, even when characters and locations look unique, they still have that quality to them. Because they um, all kind of exist sort of in the same universe, which I think has been Disney's thing since, yeah. I don't know, the beginning. And I remember, what was it? I think it was Tangled. Um, years ago, I went to a, a Comic-Con panel about the character design of Tangled. And 
it was originally they were going to do it as a 2D film, which at the time you didn't see very many of. Um, but then I think The Princess and the Frog did not do remarkably well. Mm. And so anyway, so they took us through the design of the characters in Tangled and, and where the like the evolution of like, oh, here's this character, Flynn, uh, and just from like where he started and then just, and then the show does this really beautiful like 2D image and they said, you know, but, uh, but 3D is just easier and, and it, we're, we're better able to manipulate the characters and stuff and we just, and we also just think it looks so much more beautiful. So, almost like they were pulling back the curtain on this amazing thing we were going to see. They said, so, you know, there's the 2d image, but here's the 3d. And so we saw that. And then like the audience being very obliging was like, Oh, and for me, I was like, it looks worse now and not worse, but it looks like everything else. Mm -hmm. A moment ago when you had your 2d model, it looked distinct and fun. Now it looks like every other animated film now. And it just really, it really bothered me. And so, so yeah, when a movie like Paranorman, which we talked about last year, or Coraline, when they come out, and I think uh, right now there's a movie called uh, The Box Trolls. The Box Trolls is the same studio anyway. It's that... Um, yeah, I think the same guys that did Paranorman. Yeah, I can't remember. It's the same people that did Paranorman for sure, and I thought they had a hand in Coraline as well. Maybe, I don't remember. But yeah, and so it's just... And Box Trolls has gotten like... It's gotten good reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I'd like to see it, but there's just so much other stuff right now yeah. that I want to see. But I feel like when the time comes, I'll probably watch it on video or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's Coraline looks, it is very, it's very distinct from the other animated films. Yeah. Which um, is nice. It's good to see something that's a change of pace. So I'm, I'm always interested to see something like that. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for an, a unique visual style, even if uh, even if I didn't like the story that much. In this case, I think I did like the story. Um, I think that there's something in that uh, that type of story that's very that's uh, I don't know that's very engaging that people a lot of people attach to because um, there's our companion film which we'll go into later has an element of this but another one we considered as a possible companion film was spirited away which has i think we actually announced i think i announced it last week that that was oh. a companion film and we have sorry, changed it everyone. sorry everyone everybody who's a huge miyazaki fan is all angry at us now it's all right send us a long email about it and we will say a long thanks. whimsical email and we'll say thanks for listening um but uh <laughs> um no, but yeah. So I, I should have specified the story that I that I'm talking about is is a young person, usually a girl, is discovers some kind of some kind of way to get into another world. It's, it's the Alice in Wonderland story, right. and I don't know if that's popular because simply because of the Alice in Wonderland thing, or if there's something more to that. Because I was going to say there's there's Spirited Away was the one we were talking about, right. and then even just in your description of it made me think of Pan's Labyrinth, which is another oh, sure. one that has a similar um, thing like that. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about that story that is so kind of exciting. Part of it, I think is the ability that that gives you to look into uh, a world that doesn't play by the rules that we expect. That idea of playing by the rules. I think that's one of the things that makes, makes it specific to it having to be a little girl mm -hmm. because while I will say that, you know, you and I are both, you know, 
boys. Uh, and I mean, I found a magical door in my house that transported me to another world. I mean, I just, I just went to went to the basement. No, but we had a TV down there, so it was all right. It's kind of another. It wasn't. World. It was the basement was unfinished, but we had a TV and a pool table. Well, there so you go. It wasn't bad. Let's go play pool. All right. All right. See you. Again. See you later, guys. Uh, the Matrix was a companion film. So, um, <laughs> spoilers. So, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. The idea, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're a little boy, then you probably have a fair amount of energy and, 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 uh, you know, parents and teachers will try to curb that and, and try to put it in a different direction. So it's probably, I think it's maybe the same, but just in different, it just looks different. Uh, but I, I get the impression that for young girls, there's maybe more pressure to behave a very specific kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this idea of, you know, boys will be boys. You don't often hear girls will be girls. Mm-hmm. Um, boys will be, will be boys is usually used as a way of like just brushing aside this idea of like, ah, it's fine. Let them do whatever horrible things they're going to do. It's fine. Whereas I think especially in in Alice in Wonderland times, there is a great deal of pressure for girls to be very prim and proper and not mm-hmm. to have adventures. Right. That's that's. I was going to say that'd be very interesting if you were to look at, do some kind of study on uh, films where children have adventures and see how often it is that uh, adventures for boys are something that are happening in their world. Right. Whereas adventures for girls are happening in some kind of other world. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the ones that I'm trying to think of boyhood adventure ones are things where this stuff's really happening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the girl ones, maybe it's just cause we've been talking about them. So maybe that's what's on my mind, but a lot of the girl ones you think of are ones where they have to enter another world. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I feel, yeah. So it winds up being whether direct, whether purposeful or not, it winds up being something of a commentary on the world that we live in you know, if you are a girl where there's a lot of pressure to act a certain way right. and boys, yeah, go and get an event, you know, be Huck Finn, get in, you know, get in an adventure. Whereas for a girl, it's like, no, no adventures for you. Not in this world. You'll have to go to another one. And they do, but it and almost never, never goes come well. Back. What? And they never come back. No, they can't wait to come back. And then they're like, all That's right, true. now it's time to be prim and proper and have <laughs> so, some tea. That's the next thing I was going to say is Alice in Wonderland is written by a man. Is that, is that a man being able to, to see the perspective of girls in the way that they're treated? Or is that a man saying, this is the place where you belong more with the story of Alice in Wonderland. You could make that argument. I don't know. I mean, you can make the same argument with like the wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it is interesting when you bring that up that like, it's, it's something that is, not, I mean, it's not exclusive because you get stuff like where the wild things are, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it is young girls. And I think for the reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's it, it. This does feel obviously because there's the, the Alice in Wonderland, uh, connection, but this does feel like old time Disney, um, mm-hmm. or just old time animation or old time, like family film or whatever. For me, because it's so genuinely frightening at times. Hmm. Maybe not. I mean, I'm not scared, but it's just if I were a kid, 
you know, if I were five or six and I was watching this, you know, there are moments in there that are a little bit disturbing. Maybe it feels like the stakes are higher or there's a more real sense of peril than there are in yeah. some children's movies today. I think so, yeah. And just, and this idea of, I mean, you know, we mentioned, uh, so I've mentioned a number of uh, Pixar films. Now, I, I love a lot of what Pixar puts out. But their villains, they have been treacherous, they've been dangerous, but they haven't been scary. As opposed hmm. to Maleficent, uh, the you know the queen from Snow White, mm-hmm. uh, even you know even the whale from uh, Pinocchio, yeah, and even then you know you've got kids turning into donkeys, and maybe the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, villains at the time, there was a real like I don't know, there was a real fear there. Uh, be, I mean, in that sense of like. You know, Grim, Grimm's fairy tales, the villains were monsters. Yeah. Uh, and they were genuinely evil. And so, uh, so it feels like that. It feels like a throwback to those, those types of fairy tale stories, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And I kind of like, I kind of like that for kids, uh, in the sense that, I don't know, I, th- I feel like as adults, we can enjoy, enjoy the nuances of having a, a villain mm-hmm. who is who questions themselves or has bits of good in them. Um, I think that's a more layered character, but it seems like there, there may be a value in helping kids understand the, the, some kind of depth of evil without yeah. trying to press on them the nuances of... Uh, yeah. Of, uh, you know, the, the duality of human morality. And just this idea of like, you know, when you're an adult, you understand that evil can come from any number of places. And if we understand it, we might be in a better position to stop it. Mm-hmm. But there is that idea of first and foremost, we need to stop it. Right. There might be a number of ways to do so, Yeah, but it needs to be stopped. And, and, and I think as a kid, you understand the better you understand. It's like this is the thing that just needs to be stopped. Right. And then when you grow into an adult, you realize well, there's a number of angles. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's literally just okay. This person is evil. Yeah. They're doing terrible things for reasons that are complete selfishness. There's no appeal to be made. Mm-hmm. So we'll under we can understand them as much as we can but in the end the only thing that's important is that they need to be stopped from hurting people yeah and part of me then also wonders do uh like i feel like we see that a lot more in children's movies today as we see the more nuanced villains mm-hmm. um which maybe is to get more adults to enjoy the movie as well i'm not sure exactly what the what the reasoning behind that is um but i feel like part of it could be a softening towards the idea of evil in general and that evil is i mean some people will say that there's no such thing as true evil or that evil is kind of a construct based on whatever the the current majority majority morality is um so i wonder if that's any kind of element in kind of the way that we see all villains nowadays and maybe is why I wonder if it's one of those cycles where we're kind of in this point now more. And so then why that's why a character like Anton Sugar kind of shocks and fascinates us Yeah, or, or probably the Joker too. I think he's another one where there's probably there's just evil all through in him. But um, um, that's, but even then there's a, there's, there's a philosophy behind him that people often true. say they can, to true. me, it's interesting because 
there are a lot of villains that I really respond to, and almost all of them, they have an element there that, that makes them three-dimensional characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my money, the best villain in film history is Noah Cross in Chinatown, mm. who is... Okay, I don't mean this term literally. Okay. Because I'm a Christian and words like redemption mean something. Mm-hmm. He's irredeemably evil. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even... He's done horrible things. Mm-hmm. He's done them in the past. Here, he's doing them in the present. And it's very much uh, suggested he'll continue doing evil things in the future. Mm-hmm. And just... And his whole... And when confronted with that, someone, Jack Nicholson says like, well, who do you blame for that? And he says, I don't blame myself. He says, because, you know, some people, it goes, most people never have to face that, face the fact that in the right circumstances, they're capable of anything. So he's not blaming himself. He's blaming human nature, Hmm. which is incidentally the best possible way to excuse yourself from doing anything anything any horrible thing uh and so i do think that uh adult or otherwise i think honestly i think that's why comic book movies do well i think that's why maybe action movies do well is often they'll have a very strong villain and one that we can genuinely even if we understand them we know what they're doing is wrong and we can root against them yeah and i think there's an inherent there's a simplicity to that but you could also say there's a purity to that that i think yeah as you're an adult Obviously, you want to be nuanced. You want to understand people. But as you do that, you need to be careful that you don't get lost right. a little bit. There, There is some kind of truth in those archetypes. Yeah. So, And I think that's one that we see in Coraline. Very where, much so. Um, that it's, interesting, it's interesting to talk about the quote-unquote villains in Coraline because I think this is one of those ones where it it kind of goes from one pole to the other mm-hmm. instead of that there's a villain, but there's a little bit of good in them. They are, they're villains the whole time, but they seem good at first. Right. It's, I mean, by the end, the other mother is bare is not even really in a human form anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a strong, there's strong web imagery and she mm-hmm. looks like a spider. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of every nice thing that she has done has just been to draw you further into her web. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, and as we all know, if there is an evil animal, if it's possible for an animal to be evil, it is of course the spider, the spider. Um, because everything about it is so inherently predatory and predators are evil. Like we saw in the film predators. (laughs) Um, although you and I haven't watched that yet. Not yet. Oh, it's going to be so much fun when we do maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, – and this idea – I think another another good thing for, for kids and maybe even for adults, honestly, is this idea of – and we'll be talking about this a lot actually when we, when we talk about the guest uh, in about a week and a half. That uh, this idea of if something is too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, that if somebody is giving you literally everything – if they're giving you everything you want – and you have no responsibility at all, then my guess is they're probably going to get, they're probably going to want something from you pretty big later. Now that mm-hmm. might be very cynical on my part, but that's also, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that statement? There's no such thing as free lunch. That is one way of putting it. Yes. Um, and just, but even then it's like a free lunch is, that's like, that's a small thing. But in mm-hmm. this case, it's literally 
the, this other world that Coraline goes to, it's the exact opposite, not merely of her world of it's the exact opposite of how she feels about her world. Her parents do love her. They do care about her, but they are also, they also work. Yeah. You know, and thus they can't shower her with gifts and treats all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what you as a kid want. Mm -hmm. And so because they're not able to do that for her, because they're not fulfilling the things that she thinks she wants and needs she views that as a negative and so the other world is not merely you know the the negative mirror image it's completely a function of her feelings it's it's an extension of her yeah um and so i feel like that's so the the world itself is pandering to her Mm -hmm. and uh as I've said uh, about movies and, and about art in general, but also you could say that about almost anything. Anytime somebody is pandering to you, be suspicious because mm-hmm. life is about life is not merely about challenges, but that's where you find your character. That's when mm-hmm. you find uh, you know who you are as well as through challenge. But anyway, uh, and that's ultimately what happens with Coraline is she realizes what this world is, and her first thought is, okay. I'm leaving and she does. But then her parents being kidnapped me, obviously she wants her parents back, but it's almost like the movie itself is saying, no, you can't just leave because even if you're gone, the evil is still there and you are not the first little kid that this monster has brought into this world and kept there. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of, because she uh, she arrived there through selfishness and through self-centeredness. Whereas if she, even if her parents, even, you know, her parents being in danger makes it a, a, a not a selfish thing, but like she stands to benefit personally from it, from going back and defeating the, the monster. Um, but even if that wasn't the case, I feel like there'd be this attitude in the character of Coraline of, I have to go back and I need to stop her because this is just going to continue. And just because it's not happening to me doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, you see a lot of growth in the character where she's purposely willing to, with eyes wide open, go in and, and confront evil. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like that's a very good message for kids that, uh, it's not merely, Oh, you're safe. Sometimes there are bigger things than just you. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I want to. Uh, I'll, I'll mention a couple of uh, quotes from the from the film, then we'll move into our companion film. So, um, I mentioned that uh, that the other mother has done this before. There are uh, a number of of ghost children that have been killed by the other mother but they actually cannot uh move on to like the afterlife because she actually like owns them um and it's very it's a little it's kind of a disturbing concept (laughs) um and so there's this uh there's this basically a monologue but it's it's divvied up amongst the these three ghost children she spied on our lives through the little doll's eyes and saw that we weren't happy So she lured us away with treasures and treats and games to play, gave all that we asked, yet we still wanted more. So we let her sew the buttons. She said she loved us, but she locked us here and ate up our lives. Uh, 
and of course that's very much that's that predatory thing that uh, we were talking about and the idea of you know she gave us all this and we wanted more you know because i think that's i think that is the nature of if you get everything you want then after a while the only thing you care about is what you want mm-hmm. and if you don't have anything to want then who are you so you have to find more things to mm-hmm. want um so uh and then there's a cat in the film voiced wonderfully by keith david um and by the way, it's a very he's a cat, and so obviously you're going to think of the Cheshire Cat, yeah. as you should, because he's very much like the Cheshire Cat. Uh, it's a very simple line. He says, you probably think this world is a dream come true, but you're wrong. <laughs> um, and he's the only one who actually uh, seems to... He's like the only ally that, uh, that Coraline has on the other side. Because you come to realize that you know the other father and the other, these other characters... They seem to be distinct, but you come to realize they are also just, they're actually just constructs of the other mother. Hmm. She is the only thing in that world. Everything else is an extension of her. Um, so in a way, she's almost like a more extreme version of Coraline because Coraline wants the world to be an extension and, you know, the people in her life to be an extension of what she wants, which, which makes sense because the, the world that she create, the world that she's going into, uh, the movie doesn't depict it as one that she herself has created. Right. But I think that's kind of an assumption behind it. Like this is the world that she's wanted. So it really only comes from one place. It all comes from inside her. And you could, because of that, in a way, see it as the other mother is some kind of manifestation of herself. Yeah. Uh, some kind of, evil evil side of herself that that wants to take over and you know in a way it i wasn't planning on getting getting too deep into the concept of spiritual warfare but i will say there's that idea of um what is it i can't think of it right now but i'll uh, maybe i'll arrive there in a moment but um this idea that you know i don't like to talk about hell on this show because when you start talking about hell, you start talking very definitively about how you go, how you wind up there and who's going to go there and all that kind of thing. What I will say is I, I do sort of agree with sort of the CS Lewis view of hell, which is that the gates are locked from the inside and that's a place that you go to voluntarily, even though you don't know that's what you're doing. You go there by pursuing yourself above all things. And when, and that includes God. So if your purpose, if you are excluding God from your life, then eventually you will be eternally separated from him. And if God is good, then you are, and he is all good, then you are separated from that, which is good. So you are then in hell, but one kind of of your own making, or at least you're there voluntarily. So if we look at this, if we look at Coraline like that, she has arrived at this world thinking of herself, wanting only herself. And the world is, is, a fulfillment of what she wants and what she wants is herself. Um, but what's interesting is that though the world seems to be an extension of her, it's actually an extension of somebody else who is there to trap her. Hmm. And that sounds like a, that sounds like a pretty good summary of the devil, you know, who just puts these things and we'll definitely be talking about this next week, puts these things in front of you and you and even though you think you're choosing yourself you're actually choosing 
the devil, you know, what is that uh, Bob Dylan lyric that I've said before, you know, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah. And even if you think you're serving yourself, in the end, you're actually serving this other this other being, or at least serving what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't anticipating on, on heading in that direction, so that's, that's very interesting. So, uh, so I'll bring up our companion film, which, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, is The Matrix. Uh, it was going to be spirited away, but the more I thought about the themes that I wanted to discuss, the more I arrived at the matrix. Uh, at this point, I'm not going to talk much about it because everybody has seen it. Um, now that's the one. I, I, it's the one with Keanu Reeves where he and Sandra Bullock have this lake house. <laughs> oh, okay. That they call the matrix. Oh yeah. Um, that was sad. Yeah. And then if the lake house called the matrix goes more than 50 miles an hour, then the bomb. Is oh, so got it yeah so so if the matrox slows down then it'll explode right right okay right on the lake i i think i remember the matrox that sounds like a dr seuss uh book <laughs> um yeah so uh the matrix won a number of oscars uh it was a technical marvel at the time and but one of the things what i liked one of the things i really liked about it at the time was that not only was it a really great action film um, and it still is like that. A lot of that stuff holds up in my opinion. Um, but I think unlike a lot of other action films, there's some really interesting ideas behind it. Not n- none that are particularly new, but certainly new for a blockbuster. And it, I, it wasn't assumed that it was going to be a blockbuster. It just sort of caught on. Um, but this idea of, Oh, the reality that we're living is not, actual reality there's a projection of our minds or a projection of something else on our minds and in action and in reality we're just being used for something else uh people thought that was fascinating and i thought it was fascinating it's such mm-hmm. a it's such a neat idea and the way that not unlike Coraline, the way the world of the matrix is explored and f- and in my opinion fully realized is invigorating mm-hmm. every time i mean i've seen the movie many uh, several times at this point and while I, while I sometimes think some of the dialogue is a little uh, clunky, um, the world is is I'm I'm just astonished by it. The mythology and the world of the film uh, is is fully formed uh, by the time we're watching it, and uh, it's very exciting. It even explains little things like deja vu, like it goes out of its way to do mm. stuff like that, which is a lot a lot of fun. I really like it, and so. Uh, so that's that, I mean, you can probably listener, you can probably see where we're headed, which is this idea of, you know, pulling the, the wool over somebody's eyes, making them, them think that things are one way when in fact it's, it's another and somebody's doing that for their own purposes. So I have a number of, uh, quotes here from Morpheus from the matrix uh, Josh, would you like to read some Morpheus quotes? I don't know. Cause if I do, I feel like I have to read them as Morpheus, which I don't know if you I acted, do. you used to act. Yeah. I mean, I won an award, but I still, you know, I feel like, you know, now's your chance to shine. I think, I think you should give us your best Morpheus. I don't think here's the thing. If I start doing a Morpheus, I think I'd actually arrive at agent at agent Smith. Maybe I'll just do it as like Peter Falk. <laughs> now I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. 
But then I think we might be, uh, I think people might not get the point of what we're saying. So maybe let's try to read it conversationally. All right. So uh, you do the first one, I'll, I'll do, do the it. second one. Here it is. This is Morpheus from The Matrix. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us, even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth, that you are a slave. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, into a prison that you cannot taste or see or touch. A prison for your mind. For your mind? <laughs> is, that, is that the way he said it in the movie? A prison for your mind? Something like that. I think that was a, an early take that they used. Um, <laughs> so, this idea of, you know, what is it, the... What did he say? The the wool that's been pulled over your eyes? It is yeah, the world. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And that is, I mean, that's the situation with Coraline. An entire world has been pulled over her eyes. And the key is to try is to be able to see through it. So I've, we've got a few, a few other uh, quotes here. This one is also from Morpheus. Uh, let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. Now, with both Coraline and Neo in The Matrix, there's just like even before, even before uh, the other mother says to Coraline, like, hey, I'm going to sew some buttons over your eyes. Do you have a problem with that? (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. Um, (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if characters talked the way I paraphrased them? That would be just casual not caring hey Caroline, how's it going so here's what i'm gonna do um but even before that Caroline, like she knows like there's she's a little bit suspicious she still likes it and she's still she's willing to put that suspicion aside but she knows something's not right and neo has known there's something there that's not right Mm -hmm. and so um so I want to speak to that because there's a C.S. Lewis quote here. Uh, I say it as though I didn't write it down. I looked for it. Um, if we find ourselves with a desire that, n- that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Um, so we're talking about, so now we're talking about the world. That's the world that you and I live in. Um, and, the Bible has a lot to say about the world, um, and sometimes it speaks about it in fairly extreme language, uh, language that doesn't seem to fit with what we know of the Bible and of Jesus and that sort of thing. Um, but more than anything, uh, I, I want to focus on this idea of of not merely accepting what's in front of you, whether it be you know the Matrix or uh, a really scrumptious looking cake uh as in Coraline just not mm. I'm a little hungry I could go for a, a yeah, scrumptious cake you know what scrumptious cake if somebody put a cake in front of me I'd let him sew buttons over my eyes Ooh. I'll tell you that right now sounds pretty good as long as, long as I get to eat the cake as long as I didn't sew buttons over my mouth exactly that's where I'm eating the cake exactly I guess you could like snort the cake in your nose and it would no. still go down your throat no that's wrong okay sorry it's morally wrong yes fair enough um but yeah, so this idea of seeing past just what's there, um, that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit. So here's 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, what is, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that particular verse, 
uh, it is often used to say like, you know, if you're going through trials, uh, one way or another, um, one, one thing to try to keep in mind is, is to look past what is happening right now. Even if that, the thing that is happening is your life, not even just the thing, you know, the loss of a job or something like that, but just the nature of life is that it is temporary. So if you start looking towards what's eternal, it might bring it, it might not bring you immediate comfort, but that is what you can do to, to keep from going crazy. Uh, so that is what, you know, that's sort of the, the in context thing. But in this case, it's this idea of, you know, the, uh, the robots. No, I think they're called machines in the matrix, not robots. Cause I think they, they would view that as silly. The droids, um, the, uh, the replicants watch out teardrops in the rain. <laughs> so, uh, the machines, they create this world so that people are occupied and satiated and it's built on the idea of nobody questioning. Uh, a character who actually does know the truth but does not want to know the truth, he says ignorance is bliss. And so we're talking about ignorance. We're talking about not seeing past anything. Or mm. even if you start to wonder, you just say, eh, it's fine, and you move on. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to say, because we're talking about the world, but the world that we're living in now is hardly the world of Coraline, where everything is an extension of us. Mm-hmm. But we are, we do live in a world where people are saying that everything maybe should be an extension of us, <laughs> uh, where you need... To, Josh and I were making jokes about Charles Manson before we started recording <laughs> and talking about like we uh, always do as we, we do actually quite a bit. Um, and the idea we were talking about being true to yourself. And I believe I said that there is no better example of someone who's been truer to himself than Charles Manson. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I've kind of sort of lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. So in both, in in both uh, Coraline and The Matrix, you have this very insidious entity saying, don't ask questions, just do whatever you need to do, think completely in the moment, think about what's temporary, does that cake look good? Think about that. You know, did you, you know, did you get a promotion at work? Think only about that. And of course, there's nothing wrong with focusing on things that are good, but if those are the things being used to distract you from what is ultimately good, Mm -hmm. then that is a thing being used to trap you in a web. If if I want to go back to that. And those are simpler examples, obviously of it. I don't think any of us have cake distracting us from eternal realities. Maybe me, if anybody, it's probably me. Um, but, uh, you do like cake. I I love cake. Do you like cake or candy more? Uh, It's, that's impossible to say. What about ice cream? Uh, I like them all. I don't like licorice. It's right around the line. You don't but, like licorice. But pretty much any other sweet. But you'll I eat like candy it. corn. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Or circus peanuts. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I love circus peanuts. <laughs> Those things. Yeah. I can't even figure out what they're trying to taste like. Like like peanuts. I've never had real peanuts. Oh, okay. That's it. <laughs> I assume that's what I've they taste I've only ever like. gotten my peanuts at the circus. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually banana flavoring in them. Did you know that? Isn't that weird? <sighs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> what I was starting to say with this yeah. is that these are small examples of, of something distracting you from something better, but um, uh, one of the 
I think one of the dangers in the Christian life, at least, is being distracted by things that are very good and that seem like they can be the center of everything. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I think we've said things like this on the show before, but like sometimes that might be, say your family, your family yeah. is a very important thing is a wonderful thing, but it is a gift from God. It's not the center of everything. And right. those are the types of things that we're tempted to see as, uh, as the best yeah. and to forget the eternal. You know, it's interesting, this idea of, um, you know, in the Bible, it says that God can use, will will use all things for the good of his people even horrible things he will turn to the good flip side of that is that nothing is off limits for satan to be like hmm he loves his family not super thrilled with that but you know what i can use that Mm -hmm. and before you know it you wind up i will reference an episode that we did uh you wind up uh, the corleones Mm-hmm. where it's family above all else. Oh, incidentally, we kill lots of people because the only thing most important to us is family. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, as if you didn't need a better example of how you say family, but it's just an extension of yourself. Eventually, Michael even kills a member of his own family mm-hmm. um, who tried to kill him, incidentally. Wow. So it's uh, so, yeah, anything he, can he be broke his heart. Tyler, he deserved it. I feel like you should now kiss me on the cheek you broke my heart. or does it kiss him right on the mouth he kiss him on the mouth goes right for it yeah. boy oh boy there are layers to that movie it's been much too long since i've seen godfather part two that's a very good movie and i need to watch it again it's very good maybe even great there are people that say it's better than the first one i don't get it that's hard to say the thing is i think they're both great and so if i don't know it's it's hard to really judge if one's better than the other one so both I guess so. So, I guess to me, it just like the presence of like Sonny and the older Vito. I feel like that just those characters really elevate the material, not to imply it's bad or anything, Mm -hmm. but they really make that film. So I don't know, just so almost legendary. Whereas Mm -hmm. You know, young Vito and see, but I like young Vito, and I think you get uh, you get much more of a you get a much deeper character in Michael for Godfather Part Two. Oh, so I feel like I feel like it's kind of a trade off. I guess so because I, I do I, love Sonny specifically. Like, yeah, Sonny's an, a great character and fascinating to watch. And I, I will say this: the the emergence of Fredo as a character is, I think my favorite part of Godfather mm-hmm. part two. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, incidentally, I, years ago, USA, uh, reedited, uh, the two, the first two Godfather movies in chronological order and put them out as the Godfather saga. I never watched it. I feel like I'd like to do that. I feel really? like that'd be interesting. It might be interesting. I feel like it would hurt the story. But it could hurt the story because, you know, part two, it's about, hey, look at how Vito started. It's now we're seeing echoes of that. Right. You're not, supposed not to exact s- echoes. Right. But, but you you're know. supposed to see those two tracks running alongside right. each other. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, OK. Yeah. We were talking about the choosing of, of family as an extension of yourself over everything else. Uh, yeah. So, OK. Here we go. Here's okay. So I mentioned earlier that 
the Bible speaks in fairly extreme terms about the world. Here's a few examples of that. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I'll jump into Romans 12, too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the reasons I wanted to focus on that is because there is an emphasis on the mind, which uh, is a big part of the Matrix as well. I mean, if anything, the characters in the Matrix renew their mind because their mind was accepting one thing their entire lives, and now they see things in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so... We're not supposed to love the world, and some in some verses says we're supposed to hate the world, and and that sort of thing. And it's like, wow, wow, that doesn't, you know, the word hate doesn't show up very much in you know what we're supposed to do. We're right. supposed to hate sin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as often as I would always recommend, because there are people who've used that the idea of hating your mother and father. Um, People have often used that to say, like, oh, look at what the Bible is saying. Isn't that terrible? And it's like, just here's what you need to do. You need to put that in the context of everything else in the Bible and try to figure out what is actually being said. Because Jesus tends not to advocate hating people. If you look at his actions, it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. But what he will say is if there is, you know, if there is something that's causing you to sin, and in this case, it could be, sin could literally just mean choosing something over God, mm-hmm. then that is a thing that you, uh, you probably don't hate that thing, but hate that you have elevated it to that level. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's, that's a fair, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot. A, a, a fair way uh, to read that verse. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's part of it. I think that's a, that's a layered thing. I think, um, in some ways hate can mean totally forsaking something else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think, I think in the particular context of that verse, it it seems like it's, he means it to be an extreme and to say like, you may even have to do this. You may even have to cut yourself off fully from even those who are closest to you. Um, I think the, the fact that one of the Ten Commandments is thou, thou shalt honor your father, father and mother, and the way that uh, the rest of the Bible talks about your family, I, yeah. I, it, it would make it would make no sense to assume that what he means is hate in the way that we think of right. um, of pure hate. Um, so I, th- I I take that more to mean uh, to to if necessary completely forsake your family if uh for the service of god if necessary yeah it's hmm should i say what i was about to say i don't think i will actually i think i'll i'll move on um yeah so so how do we know this stuff how do how do we are in our own lives like Coraline, looking at the world that is presented to her as this is everything you want or in the matrix just knowing something is not right. How do we know that? Uh, and so here's first Peter five, eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, so 
I mean, obviously, that's you know, that's saying be be very smart, be very canny, recognize that, and we have to be careful because I'm not saying be suspicious of everything all the time, but at the very least, I would say uh, check yourself fairly regularly and see what is what is taking priority in your life. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for? Let's let's stick with Coraline. Are you looking for a lot? Are you are you organizing your life in such a way that it is solely about your comfort and your benefit? There are plenty of Christians that do this. In fact, there's entire there's entire sub Christian theologies that focus on one could say health and wealth. Um, there's no promise of that in the Bible. Um, we can pray for it. And when, and if we get it as a, as a number of us have, certainly, uh, if you live in the U S like certain, uh, it, let, let me, let me suggest this. If you are in a position to be hearing me right now, <laughs> you're probably doing all right. <laughs> Whether it be through your computer or your phone or your iPod or whatever, any of those means you're, you're probably doing okay. Probably not doing as well as you could be. You might be doing a, a, a paying the rent from month to month kind of thing. I get it. That's that's terrible. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I got kind of sidetracked there. But just this idea of when good things come along, by all means, recognize that they're good things. Thank God for them. You know, treasure them. Don't take them for granted. But they're not the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the same thing. If bad things come your way. Those aren't the ultimate thing either. Um, just recognizing that God is the ultimate thing and everything else, good things, bad things, they can be, u- they are not in and of themselves distractions, but they can be used as distractions. Mm-hmm. These are the things that can be used to pull the world over your eyes so that you're only focusing on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that is, you know, this idea of be alert and of sober mind. Being alert can be tiresome. You know, that's, again, it's not looking at everybody with suspicion. It's just walking. I mean, it, it fascinates me, as I've said before, it fascinates me that people refer to, they say Christianity is easy. Now, they they might be referring to the philosophy of of, like, going to heaven as easy, it's like, yeah, but there's a lot more to it. And in the end, having to choose, you know, having to choose God over yourself is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, but there are tremendous rewards. And of course, when we watch the matrix, we see a guy, you know, obviously we don't like agent Smith, but the character of cipher played by Joe Pantoliano, we look at him and think, how can you even do this? You mm-hmm. know, the truth. Mm-hmm. And you're betraying people. Why? For Spoilers. your own. <laughs> Fifteen years old. That's still a spoiler to somebody. But he actually he winds up killing people. Spoilers. <laughs> are you actually doing that? Huh? Are you actually doing that? Or are you doing it for a joke? I'm saying it after you after you say things that are spoilers. I mean, if you say spoiler afterwards, it doesn't really make a difference. Anyway. I recognize that, but like, you're not upset that I'm saying this about a 15 year old movie. Are you? Uh, it's probably fine. I'd rather say it before if I were you, but well, it's my podcast, Josh. That's true. Fall in line. <laughs> the line is just you and me, by the way. Oh, all right. <laughs> there's, there's nobody else. There's the writers just... that occasionally throw something up there. Um, 
But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he does, he winds up doing some pretty awful things, fully aware. Agent Smith is a function of the Matrix. He Mm -hmm. is, I mean, he is, he's a function of the machines. You could make the argument that he, that he can't really help himself. Now, as the series goes on, they make Agent Smith into more of a character, and that's one of the only things I like about the sequels. But, um, but Cypher is a character who knows the truth. And because the the truth has requires him to live in a world that's difficult to deal with, you know, um, he'd much rather live in a world of illusion and eat a, an imaginary steak than know what the truth is and fight for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a line in the Matrix that I like where Morpheus says, "I didn't say it would be. I didn't say it would be easy. I just said it would be the truth." Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really good way to sum up what Christianity is. We're not mm-hmm. saying it's easy. There's yeah. assur- there are moments of assurance. There's the there's eternal assurance and that sort of thing, and that can put you maybe a little bit at ease. But there's no rule that your life will be easy. In fact, in many cases, it will be hard. Yeah, as a function of being Christian. And part of the like part of that why that's hard and that uh, why you need that alertness that. Uh, that it references in that verse from first Peter is uh, it's because it's the easiest thing to just kind of blend so much in to what's around you yeah. that you forget where you even are. Yeah. Um, uh, that makes me think of a, a, there's a graduation speech that the, one of my favorite authors, David Foster Wallace gave to i forget where but the the speech has been circulated a lot and and, uh uh, printed somewhere so a lot of people have heard of it but um it it starts out talking about two young fish that are sitting around talking and an older fish swims by and says how's the water boys and after he leaves i'll paraphrase and say one of the one of the fish says what the heck is water yeah and so uh, that that goes to that idea of when you're just seeing what's around you, what's close to you, you forget what it even is and what yeah. the reality even is. And I think that's the alertness of, of, uh, being constantly aware of their, of, of you being surrounded by the material world when there's an eternal world outside of that is, yeah. uh, yeah, is what we want to work for. Yeah. And so, you know, when you watch Coraline, when you watch The Matrix, and you see, and you're rooting for Neo, you're rooting for Coraline, what you're rooting for is somebody who is not content with what they've been told they should be content with. And we are told that we should be content with things that are good. You know, family, uh, a good job, you know, and Josh, in your case, cake. like cake, sure. It's not what I was going to say. In your case, like, you know, artistic endeavors and artistic success. um, None of those are bad things. Um, But when they become the ultimate thing, then they are only a thing used to distract you from the thing that will save your life, Mm. Um, which is God, by the way. Um, So, okay, I think we will uh, we will end there. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Go out and see the guest if it if it comes to your city, because it is definitely worth seeing. And then you can listen to our episode next week. Um, all right, 
I think that is about it. If you live in Chicago or the Chicago area, again, do not hesitate to come to D'Agostino's at the corner of Southport and Addison in Chicago on October 18th at 8.30 p.m. Come on by and say hi and eat some delicious pizza. Uh, I think, okay, we'll end there. Morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can find me on Twitter at More Lessons, which that might be changing. I'm not sure. Uh, I will let you know when that, if and when that happens. Uh, you can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh That's Long. That's not changing. That's no, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you don't change for nobody. Nope. Uh, and of course, uh, feel free to like us on Facebook. I po- I I've been posting a lot of stuff on there recently uh, that I think people would find interesting. So. Uh, so yeah, like us there. And I think we are done. Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And thank you guys for listening. We'll get you next time.